Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. What a great uh, couple of weeks we've been having, amen? What a great summer it's been so far, amen? We celebrated Independence Day last week. We had eight more people who were water baptized, amen? We had one who was water baptized today after the 9 o'clock service. Over 30 baptisms in the last couple of weeks. Several people have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think we ought to just give God a praise for that, amen? Amen. So, so good. I'm thankful to see God pouring out his spirit. I'm going to continue today in our series called The Fire Still, Still Falls. Amen. Mark Batterson wrote a famous book about prayer called The Circle Maker. Some of you are probably familiar with it. In it, he shared a legend about a man named Honey. I'm going to share with you some of the remarks he made about this man from the book. And it will kind of set the tone of what I want to talk about today. Uh, it was in the first century B.C. There was a devastating drought that had threatened to destroy uh, a whole generation of Israelites. It was the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles seemed to just be a distant memory. Even hearing the voice of God seemed very distant for the people of Israel. But there was one man, he was an eccentric sage who lived on the outside of the walls of Jerusalem who dared to continue praying anyway. His name was Honey. And even the people, even though the people really couldn't hear from God, Honey believed that God could still hear from them. And the rain, had they were in the middle of a tremendous drought, and Honey was known for his ability to pray for rain. And you know, by the way, when rain is plentiful, it's really an afterthought, right? Hadn't it been nice to be getting a little bit of rain this summer, kind of helping keep the grass green? And, uh, but you know, when there's no rain around, that's all we think about, isn't it? I mean, we just want some rain to come. Well, that's where they were. And it was on this day that Honey was going to earn his moniker, the circle maker. So they asked him to pray for rain, and with a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmical. It was methodical, 90 degrees, then 180, then 270, and then 360 degrees, a full circle. He never looked up as the crowd began to gather around him. And after what seemed like hours, but really it wasn't very long, Honey then stepped inside the circle that he had drawn. And he raised his hands up toward heaven. And with the authority of the prophet Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, Honey prayed a different kind of prayer in an effort to call down rain from heaven. And this is what he said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. Now, you got to have some guts <laughs> to draw a circle on the ground and step inside of it and say, God, I'm not moving from this circle until you send the rain. And 
the words sent a shudder down the spine of all that were within earshot that day. It wasn't just the volume of his voice. It was the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. His prayer was not just from his vocal cords. It was like waters coming from an artesian well, words that were flowing from the depths of his soul. His prayer was resolute, yet it was humble. It was confident, yet it was meek. It was expectant, yet it was, it was unassuming. And then it happened. As his prayers ascended to the heavens, raindrops began to descend to the earth. And I mean, there was an audible gasp that swept across all of the people that had encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as these first raindrops began to parachute down from the sky. But Honey's kept his head bowed. And the people started rejoicing with this little shower of raindrops. But Honey wasn't just satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, he lifted up his voice again and he prayed a second prayer. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. He was saying, I don't just want to drizzle. I want a downpour. I want a flood. And all of a sudden, after he prayed this prayer, that sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the eyewitnesses said raindrops were falling that the, were the size of eggs. And it rained so heavily and so steadily that the people began to flee to the Temple Mount in order to escape the flash floods. Yet Honey remained. And he stayed and he prayed in that protracted circle. And then once more, he refined his bold request and he said this, not for such rain have I prayed, but for a rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And then all of a sudden, that hard rain began to turn calm and peaceful. And every raindrop began to soak into the ground, and it was a tangible reminder of God's grace. It would be forever remembered as the day. The day that the thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day that puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day that the legend of the circle maker was born. It had been difficult to believe God up to that day, but now the day after this day, it became almost impossible not to believe. Now today, I'm not here to speak on the subject of prayer or about praying circles around your dreams and your fears, such as Mark Batterson's book talks about. But I use the story about Honey to point out something that I feel like the Lord has been saying to this church recently. If you were here Wednesday night, you really caught some of that as well. And I just want to kind of continue in this vein. And that is God wants to send a fire, not only to this church, but this, to, to this community. And he is looking for somebody that he can start the fire through. Amen. There was a similar time in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, and here's what the Lord said. He said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God said, I'm looking for somebody who will rebuild the wall of righteousness. I'm searching for someone who will stand in the gap so that I don't have to destroy the land. He said, but I found no one. 
So I want to preach on this subject today. Let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that our hearts and our spirits would be open. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to people, that you would call people, that you would resurrect dreams, that you would resurrect passion, that you would resurrect a call. Help me pray right now, folks. God, I want my heart to be open. We want to hear from you today, Lord. Speak to us and challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say, let it begin with me. Every year, we try to take a family vacation. I hope you have the privilege of doing so. When I grew up, we didn't really get to do that. And so I've been very thankful that from the time my girls were small, we've always been able to take a family vacation. And even when they were younger, we, we would do this. And when they were younger, we used to go to Florida almost every year where my in-laws lived. Because I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing better. The only thing better than Florida is having relatives that live in Florida. So you have some place to stay for free. Can the church say amen? Amen. <laughs> they lived in St. Petersburg, near Tampa, near the water, and we would drive down to Fort Myers, and we would rent a, a little place down there on the beach. It wasn't anything fancy, but it was so much fun. We would go, Kim and Anthony, Robin's sister, they would go with their kids, and uh, man, and, and then uh, Robin's mom and dad would be there, and we would all pile into this little house, and we would have so much fun. One of the things that we enjoyed the most uh, was going out to the ocean and seeing the waves. Now, my family, my girls love to get in the water. I like looking at the ocean. I don't like swimming in the ocean, amen? Because brother does not have a spirit of fear, but I don't have a spirit of confidence either when it comes to swimming in the ocean. Now, you put me in a pool, I'm good to go. I'll come out with my fingers and my toes all wrinkled. I'll stay till, the, till they close the pool down. But I'm not much for getting in the ocean. So, but what I've always enjoyed doing, and Robin and I will do this even now, we just enjoy watching the waves and then kind of looking at the sand and looking at the shells. And have you ever wondered when you're standing there and you look and it just seems so amazing and you look out across the horizon, does anybody ever feel such a sense of smallness when you're there? And you look at all the uncountable grains of sand and all the, the shells and the water comes in and shells go out and then they come back in. And when you look at that, have you ever wondered what really is the importance of just one grain of sand? Or when you look up into the sky at night, you kind of wonder and question the importance of just one single star. Or you look at the mountains and the forest and you can ask yourself, what is the significance of just one tree? And then you ponder the vast ocean of people in our world. And I looked it up this morning. There's almost 7.9 billion, almost 8 billion with a B, people in our world today. And then you wonder, what difference do I make in all of this? What difference does one person really make? Can one person really make a difference in the world or in our community or in a church or in the lives of other people. But here, here's something that I know. If you remove one grain of sand at a time or one shell at a time or one star at a time or one tree at a time, pretty soon if you do that long enough, there's not going to be any beaches or any galaxies or any forest or even any mankind. Amen? See, we live in a media-saturated and impersonal world where what really is the significance of one person. 
See, I can look around and see plenty of others who seem more capable, more gifted, more prosperous, right? More talented, more anointed, more liked. And we ask ourselves, what is the significance of one individual? You see, most people in our world think just that way, but aren't you glad that not everybody thinks that way? Aren't you glad that Martin Luther King didn't think that way? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that Patrick Henry didn't think that way? Aren't you glad that Abraham Lincoln didn't think that way, that their voice would not make a difference? Aren't you glad that Albert Einstein, everybody look around, these wonderful lights. Aren't you glad that Albert Einstein didn't think that way? Amen. Aren't you glad that the guy who invented air conditioning didn't think that way? Pastor Billy Cole used to say, I don't know if the guy that invented air conditioning was a Christian or not, but he deserves a special place in heaven regardless. Amen. Because of how good he's been to God's people. Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul didn't think that way? See, can one person on any given day really make a difference in the lives of others? I want to tell you the answer is unequivocally yes. And the same is true about each and every one of you here today. The same is true about God and his kingdom. It is easy to look at ourselves and say, who am I to think that I can really make a difference? Who am I to think that I really matter in God's big picture? And I want to especially throw out a, a, a call to our young people and our teenagers and our young adults right now, amen. This is the kind of message that can change your life if you will open up your heart. I want you to know God can use you to, hear me, change the world. Let me say that again for those of you who didn't catch it and you adults that need to affirm them. I said God can use you to change the world. And it starts in your circle. It starts in your circle. You see, all God sought for was one person. I remember I read just this morning Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. He said, then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Lord, let it begin with me. Notice what it says. God wasn't looking for an army. He wasn't looking for a city to fill the gap. All God sought for was one person. One person that was willing, amen. He didn't have to be six foot tall to qualify. All he had to be was willing. He didn't have to be educated. He just had to be one. One who was willing to make the difference. He didn't have to be the best looking. He didn't have to be the most talented. He didn't have to come from a multi-generational Christian pedigree. Come on, somebody. I don't care if your mama and daddy were heathen, amen, and you're a first-generation believer. God can use you. Amen. I remember growing up, I was in a church environment where everybody celebrated how many generations deep they went as Christians, and I always felt a little intimidated by that, but amen. Let me tell you something. God doesn't care about your pedigree. He cares about your passion. Come on. He doesn't care about it. He cares about your willingness to be submitted to him. Can one person really make a difference? I read the autobiography of Jim Baker. 
and I once visited PTL in Charlotte, North Carolina after the scandal that brought it all down. And by the way, just for the record, I'm not in favor of how Mr. Baker operated things and I'm not here to pick on him. I'm not here to talk about that. Here's all I'm going to say. That man created something amazing in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a thriving religious center. The Charlotte Observer, the local newspaper, called it the Christian Disneyland. Over the years, millions of people came to see it. They had over 4,000 employees at one time. Many people would take their vacations there. They had an amusement park. They had a water park. They had restaurants. They had fine hotels. They had shopping. They had entertainment. They had church services. But because one man fell into sin and compromise. Today, what was Christian Disneyland no longer exists as it did. See, it didn't matter that they had thousands of employees. Didn't matter that they had guests coming from all over the world. It didn't matter that they even sent in a board of ministers and people to try to save it. When that one man went down, it all eventually went down. See, it almost seems unfair that so much importance can be placed on one man or one woman. But see, one man can win a war or lose it, right? One man can win a game by catching a pass or dropping a pass. One man can strike out or hit the home run. One vote can win an election or lose it, as has been documented in many elections all around our country. But see, God has always used one. And our prayer should be, Lord, let it be me. The wonder and beauty of God's kingdom is that he has always emphasized the individual over the organization. Amen. How many did it take to help that victim that got mugged on the road to Jericho? Just one good Samaritan. How many sheep did it take to wander off to gain the attention and concern of the shepherd? One lost sheep. How many men of God were needed to confront the mighty King David and bring him to his knees in repentance? One prophet. How many prophets were called before the wicked King Ahab to predict the drought? Just one If David as a boy had not followed his dad's instructions and went to check on his brothers, you know the story of David and Goliath would read very differently, wouldn't it? Look what Goliath was looking for, 1 Samuel 17 and 10. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. See, they had already kind of hammered out a deal that if, if their champion would win, then the Israelites would have to submit to the Philistines. If the Israelites could come up with a champion who could win, then the Philistines would have to submit to the Israelites. And, and Goliath would go out there day after day, send me a man, send me a man, send me a man. And Goliath got what he asked for. But the man was described, disguised as a boy. The man was disguised as a messenger. The man was disguised as a boy who wasn't even recognized by his own brothers. The man was disguised by a boy who had an anointing. Come on, somebody. And a calling. 
a boy who was willing to fill the gap, a boy who was willing to say, man, all you guys are over here hiding behind rocks. You're hiding behind trees. You're hiding behind the cactus. You're hiding in your tent. Saul is over here. Where is it? And, and then David goes out and he says, I will be that one. And today, God is crying out, give me a man or give me a woman. One man, one woman, one boy, one girl who is willing to stand in the gap and be used by God. As we are praying for fire to fall on our city, as we are praying for an end time revival to happen, I want you to know it's not just going to be, I told you this at the beginning of this series, God doesn't just bless churches, he blesses people. He blesses individuals, amen. It's going to be for somebody and somebody maybe in this room for God to use you and your generation, amen. It might be a young person that God wants to call to make a difference. It might be one of you on your job or in your family. And all you got to do is say, God, let it start with me. E.M. Bounds wrote this in The Preacher in Prayer, and I quote, we are constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man far more of him than anything else. Men, and also that means women by implication. Men are God's method. Here, I love this though. He said the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Come on. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Come on, can I just tell you right now, it doesn't matter how many current songs the worship team sings. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter how many racks of lights we buy. It doesn't matter how pretty our building is. It doesn't matter how many people are serving on guest services. Come on, I need a little help in this house today. God is looking for individuals who are sold out and committed and ready to say, God, I will lay my life down for the cause of your kingdom. Let's give him a praise in this house. Come on, God, give us hungry hearts. Let it begin with me. Augustine once said, without God we cannot, but without us God will not. Did you know what is so unique and interesting is that God has chosen for his work on the earth to be dependent upon us. Now that's a very sobering thought if you're a believer. See, God has placed upon us the responsibility of the gospel, and the very outcome is contingent upon our faithfulness to submit and to see it through. See, he wouldn't, and guess what though? He would not have done it if he didn't know that we were up to the task. Hallelujah. God, let it begin with me. Let the fire of revival fall on me. Let me be one of those that you can use for your kingdom purpose on the earth. Are you the one? Amen. Will you be the one? Come on, who wants to be a catalyst to a revival in our generation, in this city, and in this church? Let it begin with me. See, all you got to do is look to the Bible. God always used one. Look at the nation of Egypt. They were at their greatest time during the 400 years that Israel was in slavery to them. The armies of Egypt were strong. The people had built great pyramids. Things that are still standing today that people are in awe of around the world. They did it on the backs of those Israelites. Yet when God was ready to deliver his people, he didn't send an army. 
He didn't send an allegiance of nations. You know what he did? He found one scared, forgotten man who was hiding out on the back of the desert, a man by the name of Moses, a man that could not even talk without stuttering. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? Yet God said to Moses, I want you to come with me. I've got a job for you to do, and all I need is one man. And when the Israelites ultimately walked out of Egypt, they came out with authority and in power and in the demonstration of God. Because here, remember, God plus one man, God plus one woman always is a majority. Amen. See, we need a Jonathan spirit to get a hold of us. Listen to what Jonathan told his armor bearer, because it's still true today. In 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6, he said, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a, look at this, he can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. God, let it be me. In my small group right now, we're, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're talking about some of the heroes of faith and how they didn't quit. People like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Gideon and Barak, and the list goes on and on. But look what it says about them in Hebrews eleven thirty three. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle, and they put whole armies to flight. I'm talking about a man or a woman that is submitted to God. A man or a woman that says, I will do what he calls me to do. I will be what he calls me to be. I am willing, Lord. Let it be me. Let's give him a praise in this house. Come on, somebody. Let it be me. Let it be me. Let it be me. Let it begin with me. There was an Asian hermit who lived in a remote village. True story, he was tending his garden and spending much of his time in prayer. And one day he thought he heard the voice of God telling him to go to Rome. Never been there before. He set out on foot for Rome, obeying the voice of the Lord. Weeks later, very tired, he arrived in the city at the time of a great festival. The little monk followed the crowd that were surging down the streets into the Colosseum. He didn't really know what was happening until... He saw gladiators standing before the emperor, and the gladiators were chanting, we who are about to die salute you. Then he realized what was going on. These men were going to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowd. So this man did something radical. He was so stirred. He cried out, in the name of Christ, stop. As the games began, he pushed his way through the crowd and he continued to yell, in the name of Christ, stop. People were looking at him like, you know, sometimes the way we look at people, what, what are they doing? Cool your jets. Everything's okay. But he wouldn't stop. In the name of Christ, stop. Finally, he got all the way down to the edge and he climbed over the wall and he fell down into the pit, into the floor of the Colosseum. And now he had everybody's attention. They all saw this little guy running out there, rushing toward the gladiators, saying, in the name of Christ, stop. They thought it was part of the show. 
Everybody started laughing until they realized it was not part of the show. Then their laughter turned to anger. And he continued to plead with the gladiators to stop. In the name of Christ, stop, until one of them plunged a sword into his body. And then this man fell to the sand. And as he was dying, his last words were, in the name of Christ, stop. And then something strange happened. The gladiator stood looking at that tiny figure lying there. A hush fell over the Colosseum. And way up in the upper rows, a man began to make his way toward the exit. Others began to follow. And in dead silence, one by one, they left the Colosseum. The year was AD 431. And that was the last battle to the death that was fought between gladiators in the Roman Colosseum. Never again in that great stadium did men kill each other for the entertainment of the crowd. All because one tiny voice that could hardly be heard above the noise refused to be silent. In the name of Christ, stop. All because one man said, let it begin with me. I want the praise team and the musicians to come. There was a young woman by the name of Esther in the scripture. The fate of her entire nation had fallen into her her hands. The hands of one girl. I, I want to make sure you hear me. I'm not just talking to the guys in this room. Listen to the challenge from her uncle Mordecai to Esther. Esther chapter four, verse 14. It says, and he's telling her, he said, Esther, If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, and look at this, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And then don't miss this. Look what her reply was. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther Mordecai said, you know what? If you don't rise up, God will raise up somebody. But if you don't, you and your family are going to perish. He said, but who knows whether God brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. This time. And she said, you know what? I will go. I want to close my sermon the same way I started it, with the story of a man. It was in the 1940s, and there was a professor of theology in England by the name of Professor Orr. He decided that he wanted to take his students from the seminary on a field trip to some of the sites in England that had great theological and religious significance. And so they got a bus, and they went on this excursion, and they visited many, many sites of significance, including the Epworth Rectory, which was the home and study place of one of the great champions of the Christian faith, John Wesley. 
Wesley was one of the reformers that shaped much of the theology and practices of the Christian church. Thank God for reformers like John Wesley, amen, who prayed and sought the face of God for revival in our world. John Wesley would study and teach and pray for revival to break out, not only in England, but in our country. And revival broke out in ways that made history as fire fell on our world and almost in an unprecedented way like we've never seen before because men like Wesley prayed and lived their lives in pursuit of revival. So the professor took his students there through the rectory and, and, and the students were overwhelmed. They, they, went and they, they went into the kitchen where John Wesley prepared his meals. They went into the study and they saw the books that he had read and they saw even notes that he had written in the margins of those books. They were overwhelmed to be in the, a place where such an amazing man had lived his life and has made his ministry impact. And then he took them upstairs into the bedroom to show them where Wesley slept. And then a few of the student, students noticed something that looked unusual. There were a couple of well-worn patches in the carpet right next to the bed. And they asked the professor, they said, what are those places, almost holes worn in the carpet? And the professor told them, he said, that's where every morning John Wesley would roll out of bed. And not just for a few minutes, but often for hours, he would kneel right there and pray for revival fire to fall. He would pray there so long that he wore, almost wore holes in the carpet in that spot. And the students stood there in awe for a few moments and then they all began to file out of the room and they began to return to the bus because it was time to leave. And the professor got on the bus and he was standing at the front and he did a head count, counted all the students. And he realized he was missing one student. So he went back inside. He walked around in the kitchen and he couldn't find him. He walked around in the study, couldn't find him, searched for the house, walked up the stairs. And then when he finally got up to the bedroom, he looked and he could see the head and the shoulders of one student who had planted his knees in those well-worn holes in the carpet. And he said that he could see his head and his shoulders and his hands raised high with his knees knelt in the spot where John Wesley prayed. And that student was praying these words, do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? And Lord, would you do it again with me? Do it again, Lord, do it again. Lord, would you do it again with me? And so the Professor Orr walked around to the side of the bed and he put his hands on the shoulders of that student that was praying and he said, son, it's time for us to go. Let's get up and let's go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham, went and joined the rest of the students on the bus that day. And then God did it again. Hallelujah. God did it again. What would happen if there were some people in this room, I want you to stand with me all over this house, who would be brave enough who would be bold enough to say, Lord, would you please do it again?
And God, would you do it again through me? I don't have gifts. I don't have talents. I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but God, I'm ready to be the one. I'm ready for you to light a fire in my heart that will spread to my family, that will spread to my job, that will spread to my school, that will spread to my church, that will spread to my community. I'm ready, God, for revival to begin in me. I want to open up this altar right now. Not to the most talented people in the room. Not to the most called and amazing people. I want to open this room to all the Davids and to all the people and all the Moses, everybody, that the ones who people told you and counted you out. Come on, somebody. The ones that the devil has told you, you can't make a difference. You've messed up too many times. Come on, somebody. I want to know, is there anybody in this house right now that wants to come forward and say, God, I want you to do it again through me. I want you to use me, God. I want you to use me, God. I'm hungry. Come on, somebody. God, I'm ready. Let a fire begin in me, God. Use me. Use me, God. Use me, God. Use me on my job. Use me however you see fit, Lord. 